This is the Hockey News Podcast. Hello, everybody. It's the Hockey News Podcast here. It's Matt Larkin, Ryan Kennedy to my right, Ken Campbell to my left, and Ken... Yes, As he sir. opens his, his popkin, is alive. He was stranded in Buffalo the last we heard. We didn't hear about him all weekend long. I was kind of hoping he was going to have a big, crazy story about getting lost, but you made it. No, Rob Simpson from Sirius uh, XM was uh, at the game and was kind enough to wait for me after the game while I got quotes and gave me a ride home. True story, That's bro. That's boring. <laughs> <laughs> I thought I was going to have to take the 3.30 a.m. bus from Buffalo. I w- I that would have been much That would have been much better. Yeah. There are guys chirping Ken saying, like, don't. <laughs> One guy said, strand his ass there. Leave him there. He's the worst hockey writer ever. Oh, that was awesome. <laughs> I was hoping that guy would, like, offer to drive you home, but whatever. <laughs> well, while Ken's at the Frozen Four on the weekend, pretty much everything in the universe happened in all of sports and Game of Thrones started it was just out of control it was chaos it was sort of a glue yourself to your couch kind of weekend unless you hate Game of Thrones and you never yeah, you've so never watched it you like it. the Masters and you've like never watched it exist. if you're watching the Women's World <laughs> that's right if you're watching the Women's World Championship hockey playoffs of course the NHL playoffs yep. it was chaos it was uh, and speaking of chaos <laughs> we're going to start there with our hot topics uh, Nazem Kadri. Uh, at the time of recording this podcast, he is probably sitting in his hearing, so we don't know the result, but we know it's probably going to be in the five to six game range. Um, so we're unlikely to see him for the rest of this series. Um, we know that, and we know that it was pretty blatantly predatory cheap shot. Doesn't matter what Jake DeBus did before; it was pretty cut and dry. What Kadri did, yep. Pete Defender, he did it a year ago, three games in the, the NHL Department of Player Safety. It's going to have to going to have to escalate it, of course, right? Um, so that's sort of what we already know. So I want to look forward now. And what I want to know is, is Nazem Kadri hurting his future as a Toronto Maple Leaf at this point? Two years in a row where he's done something that's very badly hurt the team, cost him multiple games of a playoff series. And you never know. Toronto lost in seven. They lost by a period last year. Yeah. They had Kadri. Do they win that series? And yep. who knows what's going to happen now. So is Kadri <laughs> playing his way out of Toronto right now? Uh, I I would think that he is. I I would liken this to um, 2002 when Ty Domi wiped out Scott Niedermeyer. Um, Ty Domi at that point in the series was actually a more effective player in that series than Scott Niedermeyer. He was playing very, very well. Uh, and 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 then he he wipes out Niedermeyer, gets kicked out for the rest of the playoffs, and the Leafs lose the series. Um, this this I think is an, is an awful lot like that in in that. You want what Nazem Kadri brings. Like in in theory, you want what he brings, right? Um, you want that you know that willingness to stand up for teammates. You want that grit. You want that gumption. Um, but this is a guy that it takes him a long time to figure things out. You know, I mean, it took him a long time to figure out whether or not he was going to be a decent NHL player. He took a couple of years, and it took some really difficult times in the minors, and you know, some real sort of stops and starts, and we were kind of all wondering, where does this guy fit, and does he even fit? And so now he carves his niche, and then now he's clearly the third-line guy here, and this is what you need from him. You need him to play on the right side of the rule book, and he's not, and he's clearly not doing it. Like, you need him to stand up for guys. You need him to play hard. You need him to be the guy that provides that sandpaper. But if he's going to go and get himself kicked out of the series, then, you know, that's a, that's a complete detriment. Yeah, and I think the the fear for Kadri right now should be 
he gets suspended and the Leafs end up winning this series because they play more like they did in game one than they did in game two when they were taking their cues from him. I, I, I know what you're saying about sticking up for your teammates, but game two seemed more that the Leafs were trying to play like the Bruins. And I thought they right. figured it out last year that when they do that, they lose. And when they concentrate on their speed game where they don't care about throwing hits, they win. It. It seems so black and white yeah, to me that it's bait. like, don't, yeah, they took the bait. Yeah, yeah, just yeah. don't do that. Yep. Jake DeBrusque is finishing his checks and chirping. Let Jake DeBrusque do that. Jake DeBrusque should not be the most important person in this series if you're the Toronto Maple Leafs. Yep. It should be you skating around Zdeno Chara, who is clearly struggling with guys like Mitch Marner, you know, when the Leafs are in control of this series. That's what you should. You had the template. You did it in game one. Right, right. Why did you go down this path in game two where you thought you had to match the Bruins' intensity? You're never going to do that. The Bruins are built as a, you know, a physical, heavy team that also has some really nice high-end skill that so far, you know, again, going back to game one, Tavares on Patrice Bergeron, that seemed to work out pretty well. Mm-hmm. It kind of feels like they had it all figured out. I don't know why they strayed from it. Well, two. to me, it's it's just like, why is uh, is Nazem Kadri getting sucked in by Jake DeBrusque? Like what? Why is that happening? Like how how can that how can that be allowed to happen? There's a lack. Like of where is? Yeah, I mean, I mean honestly, it, it's a selfishness. <clears throat> it's a, it's a yep. in yep. a hockey context, mm-hmm. right? I'm not trying to criticize Nazem Kadri as a person, but in a hockey <clears throat> context, it's not using your head; it's using your heart and acting emotionally. And I think uh, even though I've been a pretty big Kadri apologist throughout his career, I've been pretty pro Kadri. I like him as a player. I think he's a good two way player, uh, and I think sometimes he gets a bad rap. He's a bit underrated. Um, but in this case, now what you're going to get for the rest of the series is a chance for, I think, Mike Babcock to audition William Nylander as a center permanently. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if, like you said, Ryan, if, if the Leafs come back and win this series with Nylander as, as a center, you're getting a look at maybe their optimal lineup for next year. Because in my opinion, based on the, the way the rest of the season goes, uh, or playoffs, I should say, the Leafs are going to have to trade... Maybe it's a Nylander, maybe it's a Kadri, but somebody for another defenseman. Well, they only so, have four million in cap. They have right. less than four million in cap space, and they've got to sign uh, Mitch Marner, Casper uh, Kapanen, and Andreas Janssen, and they've got to replace Jake Gardner and Ron Hainsey, probably. Right. Yeah. So, so yeah. So there's there's something there's something going. So, yeah. But maybe Kadri is making <clears throat> the decision easy at this point because to me, I, I was thinking, well, Nylander is going to bring you a, be- a better return if you're willing to break your word if you're Kyle Dubas. But if Kadri's sort of hurting the team, anyways. And regardless, even if his reputation's bad, he's still going to have trade value. He's still because I yeah. think he's playing number three, but he, on most teams he could probably be a, a decent number two center. Yeah, he's yeah. a number two. Yeah, and I, and I think too that 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 you know this this whole new world for him, having Matthews and Tavares ahead of him, like he didn't adjust very well to that this year at all. Like he didn't have a great year this year. No. Um, so there's that too, right? Yeah, fair. Uh, amidst the pandemonium over the weekend, we saw two teams go down 0-3. Pittsburgh Penguins, okay, fine. But the Tampa Bay Lightning down 0-3 to the Columbus Blue Jackets. Both are shocking stories. Um, so let's discuss whether either of these teams, or both, or none, can make the comeback in, in the series. So let's start with Tampa Bay. Do they have a shot? They won 62 games. Are they are they cooked? Should we still be placing a bet on them now as an underdog, the old sports book, to make a comeback? What do you think? I think they're cooked because <laughs> Sergei Bobrovsky can steal games. And 
so far, you know, Columbus has obviously churned out goals, and that's been part of their success is they've been able to crack Tampa Bay pretty easily. But I think they still have that ace in the hole where if they need to grind out a game 2-1 maybe in overtime, they have the personnel to do so. And I think with a coach that is as experienced as John Tortorella, a guy that's so dialed into his particular roster, they can have one of those ugly games where it's like, style points don't matter, boys. Just get the W. Yeah, I, think, yeah. I don't yeah. know if the series goes four games, five games, six games, but I think Columbus is at a point now where they can kind of experiment enough. Yeah. Where even if, even if the, what they've been doing doesn't work at the beginning of game four, they have that confidence where they're like, well, we can beat these guys and we can do it in a couple of different you, ways. You don't, but the thing is you don't want to let this team off the mat. Sure. Like, you don't want to give them any life whatsoever. Yeah. Like, if, if, if Tampa wins game four, I think it really changes the complexion of the series because they've won a game and then all they have to do is win one more game. Like, now it's just win a game, guys, you know? Mm-hmm. So I think it's, I think it's incumbent upon the Columbus Blue Jackets to put this thing away and to put it away now. And not give these guys any life because you don't want to give a team like the Tampa Bay Lightning a puncher's chance at any of it, right? right. Um, to me, it's it's what's interesting is, guess how many goals the Tampa Bay Lightning have in their last five playoff games? Five. Woo! Five. Mm, oh, because the Washington's. Yeah, 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 yeah. Wow. Yeah, they, they like. I would say they have a chance, but. They they gotta show up for the game first. Yeah. Like again, they gotta show up and play the game first. Like let's let's get to that point before we talk about them even having a chance of yeah. winning. And another like, opponent, opponent that plays a heavy <laughs> style, just like Washington last year, Columbus. Leaner, big time, yeah. big time. Yep. It's interesting to me. Uh, I'm not willing to count Tampa completely out yet because think of it this way: two weeks ago, if someone said, "Do you think Tampa can sweep Columbus in round one?" You might say, "Yeah, I think they could." 62 wins, they're the most dominant team we've seen in a couple decades. Could they sweep Columbus? Yeah. So all we're asking right now is, okay, Tampa, go sweep Columbus. Right. Win four in a row. And if any team can win yep. four in a row, yep. it's Tampa. And I was yep. looking at the scoring chances in the series. At five on five, Tampa's got 52.88% of the scoring chances and Columbus 47.12. So territorially, in terms of shot attempts, Tampa is playing even if not better than even with Columbus. The problems in the series so far, penalties, of course. Tampa was the third most penalized team in the regular they've, season. They, yeah, they've had problems with that over. all year. Columbus has scored 50% of the power plays. Uh, and, of course, goaltending. So it's almost as if bad Sergei Bobrovsky was a small sample size, you guys, yeah. which, of course, it was. Good yeah. Sergei Bobrovsky showed up. And Andre Vasilevsky, uh, 866 save percentage so far in the series. Yeah. So what you need to change is Vasilevsky has to play well, which, again, not a huge ask of a guy who might win the Vezina Trophy. Tampa's got to find a way to stay more disciplined. I think that's the number one thing. And when your best player, the best player in the world this year, is the guy making suspension-worthy hits yeah. or maybe suspension-worthy hits, that's a big problem. Well, they also, they also, their penalty kill has to be better. They, they had the best penalty kill in the league this year. Mm-hmm. That penalty kill hasn't showed up. That's fair. Yeah. So I think I'm not willing to say, okay, Lightning are going to come back and win it, but I think there's, I think there's a chance, and I don't think this is going to be a sweep. I think this is still going to go six games. Well, then, then yeah, then if it's not going to be a sweep, then in in my estimation, it changes like that. That will change the complexion of the series as soon as as soon as Tampa wins a game. I I think it's I can't I can't reiterate enough that I think it's crucial for Columbus to get this thing done and get it done in four. So it's like it goes. It's going to go four or seven. 
Almost. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, you could be right about that. Yeah. Now, what about the Pittsburgh Penguins down 03 <laughs> to New York Islanders? <laughs> and I looked into the numbers. The team allowing the most, most scoring chances in the playoffs so far is Pittsburgh. With that defense, come on, Matt. I don't <laughs> yeah. believe you. <laughs> come on. I'm not on board but with that. Penguins and Islanders How dare are actually, they're 1 2 in chances, right? So that's been the most, the wildest series in terms of offensive chances generated at both ends. But yep. the Islanders, it's that goaltending, man. Mm-hmm. And I still believe all season long it's masked. Uh, the Islanders, uh, they've been okay defensively, but not as good as people think. But the thing is, I, I just don't think that goaltending is going anywhere. Between Lehner and if you need to go to Robin, or Thomas Grice at any point, I think they're good. So, I don't know. I have less faith in Pittsburgh than Tampa. Definitely. Yeah, definitely. And, and I mean, maybe this is maybe this is where we all look back in five years and point to this playoff series and go, yeah, that's the end of the Penguins. That, that's when it. That's when it. You know, started. it's going to be sharp. It's going to yeah, yeah, yeah. Like Chicago. Yeah, yeah. Right. Chicago got swept by Nashville. Yeah, a couple of years yeah, ago. yeah. Kind of reminds yeah. me of that. Yeah, a lot of that. A lot of that. Yeah, there's a lot of parallels there. And yeah, I mean, like my wife was watching the game with me last night, which she never does because she knows nothing about hockey. And she said, "Wow, Sidney Crosby, he was really lousy, eh?" I said, "No, he had 100 points this year." She goes, "Well, I never heard anything about him all year." I don't even know why I'm saying but, that. It, has not, it, it doesn't even have anything to do Although, with the series. No, he was lousy. <laughs> he was lousy uh, in Game Three of the series, right? It's been a very quiet series for Crosby. He has no points. He has yeah. no yeah. points. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I think what we're seeing here is the trough of the Penguins, where years of going for it and winning, they come at a price, and that yep. that price is depth. And when you have the high end players that Pittsburgh does eating up a lot of salary cap space. You only have so much wiggle room. And this is the problem. The defense is bad, and it can't. Re- there's no one coming up to replace these guys. Like, you know, yeah, they just signed Kalen Addison. Yeah, yeah. You know, Kalen Addison to his rookie year contract. But this is not a kid that you expect to jump into a top four role. He's not Miro Heskinen or something like that. You know, he's going to take a couple of years to develop, and that's fine. That's what you want from Kalen Addison. But... You know, Pittsburgh needs guys right now, and they don't have them. The guys they do have now, they shouldn't have. So this is this is going to get interesting, though, right? If 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 what we're projecting here is is the case, and there's no reason to believe that it's not really so like, far. They haven't yeah. shown much. Yeah, no. I mean, so then if this is the start of the you know the, the beginning the of the spiral end. downward, yeah. What does that mean to roster construction? What does that mean for this whole franchise, you know? Maybe for a guy like Phil Kessel, for example. And, and here's a question. you know, Do you look at Chicago if you're Jim Rutherford? Because what the Blackhawks did is their empire crumbled, but they were able to reload with some youth quickly enough that they might just be able to have the guys like you know Adam Vokfist and Henry Yokiharu, and now you have Alex Dabrinkit and Dylan Strom on the rise before Kane and Taves decline too much. Mm-hmm. So Kane and Taves might get a second run of relevance, but more as right. the elder statesman. Right. Kind of like right. you know what Joe Thornton is doing in San Jose now. Right, right, right. So right. if you're Rutherford, do you try to find a way to reload this team? And maybe that means, you know, trading a Phil Kessel, getting a first-round pick for this draft, and you miss the playoffs next year. Yeah. And in two years, you're yeah. back on the rise, and Crosby and Malcolm are past their primes, but they're still good enough that they could be part of something else. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, but... You know, I mean, the, the Chicago Blackhawks got to brink at 39th. Mm-hmm. You got to be picking 39th to get yeah. that pick. And, and like, I mean, Pittsburgh's not even 
Well, they have their first rounder yeah, this year. Yeah, they do this year. But yeah. then they do not have their second rounder or their third rounder. Right, right. So whatever they do, they'll have to do it before. And the you know, God love them. I, I would have done the same thing. I mean, sure. who who in in the NHL? What team in the NHL would would oh, yeah. would trade what you know would would trade places with the Pittsburgh Penguins over the last decade? Yeah. You got your rings. Yeah. Same I mean, in the Blackhawks. Yeah. Doesn't matter. Yeah, exactly. Same thing. Yeah. Absolutely. They all yeah. they all eventually got punished for it. That's just the circle. I call it the circle of prospect life. The Faustian bargain that is. The NHL. That's right. Oh yeah, oh, get all <laughs> get all literary on us. Okay. Or, or Archer. Yeah. <laughs> uh, switching over to the women's world championship, absolute pandemonium in overtime yesterday between Finland and Team USA, and you have Petra Niemann scoring what looks like the championship clinching goal. Crazy celebration, and it gets called back. And the ruling is that even though goalie USA goalie Alex Rigsby tripped the captain. Uh, Jenny Hirokoski. Uh The rule was that Hirokoski interfered with Rigsby, which I still think is crazy. Yeah. Um, because how can it be goalie interference if the goalie is tripping you? Yes. How are you interfering with someone when they are tripping you? The goalie interfered. It was non. What they call it? Non incidental contact. contact. To me, that's. Why even say those two words? I gotta read like it. Like non-incidental contact. contact. That is that contact? I gotta I gotta read it and then we can cut it up. Okay, sorry, IHF, but we're gonna not do sorry. it, okay? Yeah, yeah sorry, sorry, not sorry. Not sorry. <laughs> okay, so the, the statement is all goals that were scored during the twenty nineteen IHF Ice Hockey Women's World Championship were reviewed by the IHF video goal judge operations. The overtime goal scored by Team Finland against Team USA was reviewed and disallowed by the video goal judge operations due to the due to non-incidental, like you said, Ken, goaltender interference. These two rules were considered. One, according to the IIHF playing rule 186 an attacking skater who makes contact other than incidental with a goaltender who is out of his or her goal crease during game action will be assessed a minor penalty for interference if a goal is scored at this time it will not count so that's rule number one and the debate again was Rigsby out of her crease it was close but they didn't give her the penalty for interference did they well they ruled it after right right. but the penalty on the ice was tripping on Rigsby the second part of the rule is incidental contact is allowed when the goaltender is in the act of playing the puck outside his or her goal crease provided the attacking skater makes a reasonable effort to minimize or avoid such contact so again it's crazy even if we decide okay fine Rigsby was legally in the crease uh, did Hirokoski have time to get out of the way in the middle right. of that scramble in the right. middle of an so, overtime? So what, are they, what are they saying? Like, like in in oh, it, was it in overtime or was it late in the game? It was overtime. It was overtime, of course. Yeah. So, so at that point in the game, you're going for a loose puck. Um, how do you judge the intent there? I mean, mm-hmm. I mean, so she was supposed to she was supposed to take steps to. To make sure that she got out of the way? And out of the way like, of the yeah. person that was yeah. tripping her. That's yeah. the part I cannot yeah, yeah, get past. Yeah. And I almost feel like what we might have here is a loophole where the IHF can say, okay, fine, you can make that case, but technically Rigsby was in the crease and, you know, whatever. We thought there was time. Yeah, well, have fun with but, that with the uh, 20 other goals that you're going to have to deal with now, too. Yeah. Um, uh, there's a couple of things here. Number one, okay, I, I get it. They went to video. They, they quote-unquote got it right. Okay, because because they went to video, they reviewed it, um, they did everything they were supposed to do. Okay, so the so it's no goal and, and that. But what I don't understand is in December they came down with an edict that in the World Championship this year, in the final game championship game of the World Championship this year, there will be no shootout. It'll be three on three That's overtime. That's the world men's. World men's until somebody scores. What are you doing? Like what do you like? Why do you just do that for the men's? Why would you not do that for the women's as well? Yeah. That's not to say that Finland would have won. I mean, USA still might have won, um, but uh, but 
like to me, what are they saying? Like, are they saying, oh, gee, you know, you guys can't play three on three or you're going to be too tired or you're too frail or whatever. No, like they should have, they should have done it for both the men's and the women's world championship. And this should have been at the very worst decided as a, as a three on three thing. Right. Uh, And not in a shootout. It should have been until someone scored in three on three. And the other thing is the, the, the third finish shooter, um, I I don't know what the hell she was thinking. The ring ant move. Yeah. Like I I don't like, uh, like, I, I I can't even begin to. I think she overthought it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, Which understandably, be, yeah. It was it was a crazy it was a crazy game and just the emotion of doing the full celebration and yeah. throwing off the equipment, diving and then having to get Put your head on guy. straight and like yeah, think they, of a they shootout move. Find all their stuff again. Yeah, and, yeah. Oh yeah, this is my glove. Is there a number seventeen on yeah. that glove? Okay, <laughs> yeah, I think I, I think in that case, she thought okay. There's going to be some misdirection here, and it'll throw off the goaltender. But if you really think about it, she basically just said, uh, I'm not going to be shooting high. Yeah, right. Or I'm not going to have a chance to get it high until the very last second, in which case the trajectory will probably give you a save. And this is the best thing that could have happened to Canada because now they don't get... Now everybody forgets to, you know, skewer them from <laughs> oh, yeah. not winning no the, Canada, not winning the Canada hockey summit 2.0. And it really is too bad. I, you know, I mean, honestly, a big part of this controversy is the fact that Finland lost. Like, if this was reversed and Team USA was the one that got hosed, everyone would be like, ah, stop crying about it. You yeah, guys win yeah, all the time, yeah. you know. <laughs> give it a rest. But I think because everybody outside of the U.S. wanted Finland to win, it's magnified, where it would have been awesome for a team outside of North America to win the gold at that tournament for the first time ever. For the first time, you know, like the Olympics has never had a gold medalist outside of North America. You know, the Finns, they were the home country. They put together a great team. They already beat Canada. I mean... No team has ever beaten Canada and the U.S. in the same tournament, I would think, in women's hockey, at least not at the highest level. And, you know, and, and talking about, you know, women versus, say, under 16 or under 18 or whatever, it would have been incredible. It really would have helped the sport grow globally. Everyone at the Olympics would have to shut up about how non-competitive, you know, women's hockey is, even though only, like, two countries have ever won a medal in table tennis ever. Uh, yes. Throwing shade on table tennis. Yeah. You've gotten a pass too long, ping pong. Putting you on notice. Yeah. Go back to the basement. Um, but anyways, it would have been great. And I think that does play a part of it. I mean, the double IHF rules, who, who knows, like, if they're ever going to be consistent or yeah. relevant in a greater hockey context. I mean, we have to, like, huff and puff about this. Like, almost every World Juniors when the calls are totally, you know, just wacky, regardless of nation at the World Juniors. Right. You just yeah, sit, yeah. sit yeah. back and say, yeah. I don't know why they called that the way they did. But, I mean, this it's double HF town. What are you going to do about it? I think they're they're proudly independent about their own rule book as well. So that's why I'm skeptical that we're going to get to see the full-on change. It, it's a good sign they're experimenting with the shootout, but I, I'm still skeptical that we're going to see it, it fully implemented. We'll see. Next up, it's time for a little bit of fantasy insider info, and I'm going to do something a bit different now because most, most leagues, of course, are finished if you're doing a regular season pool, or if you're in a playoff pool, 
it's still going, unless you picked all Tampa guys, in which case you're probably finished. Uh, <laughs> but this, this is something for keeper leagues, okay? Because this is the time of year when a lot of people are declaring their keepers, and I wanted to point out a few names to keep an eye on. Uh, I'm going to call these guys the Future Watch 3. So spoiler alert, in the Future Watch, our, our magazine that's out on newsstands right now, these are the top three overall prospects, and their ownership tags in most fantasy leagues are very low. So depending on your league rules, you might be allowed to scoop one of these guys and stash him, and you'll have a really good keeper that's really cheap. Uh, the first one, of course, is Kale McCarr. He's going to be the hardest guy to get because he only just signed his NHL contract. So most, a lot of leagues, actually, he's not officially appearing as a player in the game yet. So it depends on your league format. If you play more of an analog league where you write guys on boards and do all that kind of stuff, you can probably get Kale McCarr. So he's someone I would stash right now if you can because he's going to be a hugely impactful fantasy defenseman. He's someone who could have one of the best offensive rookie seasons from a defenseman, I think, in a long time. A rare rookie defenseman who could step in next year, considering the talent he'll have on that power play, and he could be a 50-point rookie, I believe, as a defenseman. Uh, another rookie who's going to be very tantalizing, uh, another defenseman, of course, is Quinn Hughes. He's owned in 5% right now of Yahoo Leagues, so he's available. He's in the Yahoo system because, of course, he came for his cup of coffee, very impressive yeah. cup of coffee with the Canucks late in the year, and again, Hughes is someone, maybe McCarr is going to be the better overall player, but offensive fantasy value I think Hughes is going to be pretty close pretty similar to McCarr another dynamic puck mover and the Canucks have lots of talent to work with there of course too Brock Besser Elias Pettersson that's what I like to do you start thinking okay who's going to be on that power play because for defensemen power play time uh, for fantasy leagues power play time is easier to predict if you're a power play quarterback type if you're a Kale McCarr type or a Quinn Hughes type you're going to get those minutes uh, another guy to look at in deep leagues, only owned in 1% of leagues, is Cody Glass. Uh, he's someone, and Ken, you did a story on him recently, I know. Yeah. Um, very good two-way game, which means he's likely to go get into his coach's good graces and get ice time as a rookie. I think he's going to be a Calder, Calder Trophy contender as a rookie next year because people always forget that. It's sometimes people assume, oh, it's going to be the first overall pick is the, the favorite for the Calder. But just like Elias Pettersson this year, it's sometimes it's a guy who was drafted earlier who is more mature when he breaks into the league. So to me, Cody Glass is assuming he makes the Golden Knights, which I think he will next year. Yeah. Uh, I think he's going to be someone who's an impact player. Um, going to be, at, I think, at least in the top nine. And that can be a double-edged sword because because he's, he's conscientious defensively, it means he doesn't have to go on a scoring line. So that's bad, but it's good in that he's going to get to make the team and get the minutes, and talent might win out. I think he's kind of a Mark Shifley would be a good comparison. Very good comparison. Uh, very, very right. good comparison. So if you like Mark Shifley, then yeah. you're going to like Cody Glass, and he's cheap. So if there's that there's, there's that loophole you can exploit in your league, go steal Cody Glass, baby. The only, the only reservation I have with Cody Glass is the fact that uh, the Knights are, are really – they're they want him to be overripe, you know what I mean? Like he's he is actually Cody Glass is actually the first player in the modern era that's been that's been a first round pick of an expansion team that has not played uh, by at least his second year after he's been drafted because he's been in the he's he was drafted and he spent his last two years in junior. Um, so I think, and and you know, I mean, Vegas is a very deep team, as we're seeing. He's a victim of the franchise right now. Yeah, success. yeah, exactly. So that would be my only that would be my only caveat there is that you know you're saying he's going to make the team, but he you know he might not. He's going to have to he, earn his way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like it's not like previous expansion teams where it's oh you were picked in the first round oh you're good you got a lot of points in junior yeah you're 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 a first line center yeah you know who's the captain? <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean he's at best their third line center. Right. At best, because Paul Stassi's in the way, of which course, is which is Carlson. which is a couple of which is kind of a, a a couple of things. I mean, number one, he won't be getting top two line minutes, but number two, he'll be facing third line checking. Right. Yeah. So that may all kind of 
Washington. play into this whole uh, fantasy league stuff. Yeah. yeah, and the ceiling for Cody Glass is first-line center. I think mm-hmm. within two to three years, no matter what happens, I think he'll be their number one center. He'll be ahead of William Carlson even. Okay, Ryan, future watch time. Let's get the lowdown on the prospects. Yeah, there's a ton of stuff going on right now. Uh, I'll start off with the 2019 draft. Uh, Peyton Krebs, he will be suiting up for Canada at the World Under-18s. This is a really good opportunity for a very good young player who just happened to be in a tough situation, playing for the Kootenai Ice, uh, who will now be the Winnipeg Ice next year as they move across the country. At least at least you keep the, the, the cold part of it, right? Exactly. Like, it's probably icier in Winnipeg than it's it is in It's a good point, Kootenai, yeah. So, yeah. So, so Krebs didn't have a lot of guys to play with. He was still a point-per-game guy, super smart, obviously very talented, great vision, uh, great playmaker, but... I think the world under 18s are going to be a fantastic opportunity for him to actually play with some really elite line mates. So this will give us a very accurate uh, portrayal of what he can do in the next couple of years as he goes from junior into a pro. Um, and actually, there's a lot of guys in that situation at the world under 18s. Check out THN.com or thehockeynews.com because uh, I'm actually going to do a special prospect need to know on Tuesday about guys that can use the world under 18s to their advantage. It's, it's quite a good list. Um, moving on to drafted prospects, and actually, technically, this guy wasn't drafted, he was signed as a free agent. Kyle Kaiser, goaltender for the Oshawa Generals in the OHL. He's a Boston Bruins prospect, and the Generals, uh, they really handed it to Niagara in the second round. I, I didn't think that was going to be a close series, but uh, Oshawa had a 3-2 lead going into a pivotal Monday game six. Kyle Kaiser has had a very nice playoff run, 943 save percentage, uh, 7-2-1, and one, uh, the one being a overtime loss, obviously. But, uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's interesting. He's got good size. He's got some international experience with Team USA. And Oshawa, I mean, they're a pretty solid team. I just kind of thought at this point, you know, Niagara has so many weapons that they would have overpowered the Generals. But Kaiser, uh, he stood tall for them. A couple of those games, Niagara's only got one goal, so he's been doing his job. Cool. Uh, For any fans of uh, cellular biology out there, uh, I'm really hoping that Peyton Krebs is good at cycling the puck because then we can write headlines like Krebs Cycle. Because Krebs cycle, it's something that happens like in photosynthesis or inside a plant. No, Stephen's giving. Our, <laughs> Stephen's doing our audio. Give me a thumbs down. <laughs> I hope there's a biologist listening out there, and if there is, please okay, respond. My, Tell me if I got it right. It's the Krebs cycle. I remember I'm doing. My son. No, I did my cell diagram in high school, and I know that. Damn Krebs cycle was part of it. So I want to hear somebody somebody write in and tell me about the Krebs cycle. I just want to tell everyone. Story. I just want to tell everyone that last minute or so, you're never getting that back. No, nope. you're, you're never for getting it. that you're back. Welcome, you're welcome for educating you. <laughs> and if there's parents it. listening, your kids just learned something about biology because now they're looking up the Krebs cycle instead of googling like Nazim Kadri cheap shot. So there you go. You're welcome. Uh, <laughs> So, Kenny, let's talk about the magazine right now. All right. Uh, the playoff preview. Anything it's, else. It's, a yeah. Little, yeah. it's probably a little bit obsolete at the moment because it says things like Tampa Bay in Cup Final. 
Uh, but in it, there are, few, there are obviously some features uh, that, are still, <laughs> that are still relevant. <laughs> well, I mean, if you, you should have it by now. Right? Right. Um, you should get it anyway. Yes. Uh, but, Kenny, I wanted to hear about the feature you did on Mark Stone, because you had a chance to spend some time with him. And Stone, yeah. obviously, is very relevant right now, off to an unbelievable start, eight points in three games in the playoffs. So tell me a bit uh, about what you learned going and meeting up with Mark Stone. Well, I went to Calgary basically to do a piece on Mark Giordano. Um, and uh, and I, Vegas was in for one of the games that I was there, so I was able to uh, get Mark Stone for a little while. Uh, he was not he, actually it was uh, they had a pretty compressed uh, schedule, so it was good that they made the time to to meet with me. And and you know he's just a really unassuming, quiet guy who I, I think you know I mean it, it's it's almost like the, he's the antithesis of Vegas. You know, mm. like 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 if you would think that there's one guy who's who's sort of not the Vegas type, it would be him. Um, but, you know, I mean, obviously he showed in game game three against the Sharks um, what kind of impact he's having in the playoffs because he, he didn't do a lot, didn't do a lot um, in the regular season. Although his first five games, he wasn't on for an even strength goal against, which is so Mark Stone. <laughs> Selkie Trophy. Yeah, which is so Mark Stone, right? Um, but just a, you know, just a really unassuming guy. I don't get the sense that, you know, the big money or the long contract is going to be something that uh, – you know, will soften him up or, or anything like that. I expect him to be, you know, I mean, this will be a contract that's going to be good for four or five years, and then it probably won't look so great after that. But, uh, but I mean, you know, with him in the fold, I mean, they've got, they, they you know, and, and this all sort of comes back to, you know, I mean, the fact that that Vegas, you know, is still leveraging its expansion draft genius uh, into this lineup. I mean, you look at their top line, none of those guys were expansion guys, right? But you've got Max Pacioretty, who was traded to my, uh, from uh, traded from Montreal, and they gave up Nick Suzuki. And then on the other side, you've got Mark Stone with the Eric Brandstrom and everything. And those were all extra picks that they had in the first round. Mm-hmm. So, All right. Yeah. We're going to keep the floor for Ken right now with a hot take that may be just lukewarm this week, right? Or is it hot? I don't know how hot it is. Okay. Tepid. Tepid take. Well, I'm going to have to punch it up then. Okay. Um, I was at the at the Frozen Four this weekend, and I saw three games. Only one of them was good from a from an aesthetic standpoint. Right. Uh, from an entertainment value standpoint. And it did not involve uh, the University of Mich- uh, Minnesota Duluth. Um, the two games that I saw that involved the Minnesota Duluth were um, not great games to watch, but... This was surgery, man. This was like this was like watching a doctor do surgery. Well, sur- surgery might be thrilling if you're doing the surgery. I guess, yeah, uh, yeah. But like, it was, it, a, it was, was a rug doctor. It yeah. was it was meticulous. Like they were so detail oriented. They gave Providence nothing, and they gave UMass even less in the final. Like I, I think they could still be playing, and UMass wouldn't have, wouldn't still wouldn't have scored a goal. Right. Um, and and I I mean they've got they've obviously got good players. They've got some good veterans. Although only three seniors on that team. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that I think that the, the you know the whole sort of genius behind all of this is Scott Sandel and the coach. And boy oh boy, I mean he's right. Like Buffalo. He was right there. Right. He was right there in your building. You Just didn't call him. To, Just, you didn't even yeah. have to let him Knock leave the building. Knock on his hotel room door. <laughs> you yeah. know? I mean, to me, if you are looking for someone to turn your team 
from an offensively an offensive team that doesn't care about playing defense Florida and all those others but I mean Florida's already got the coach obviously but but I mean if you are looking for someone who can lock this thing down and I mean this is your guy I mean and yeah. and to me I mean Scott Sandlin played he's played in the NHL played a lot of years in the minors played for a lot of good coaches He's won three national championships, been to the national championship game uh, three times in a row. I mean, he's he's pretty much done it there, yeah. right? And I, I was I was figuring this out. The New York the New York Rangers hired David Quinn out of Boston uh, Boston University, University. Um, last year. They pay, they're paying him two point four million dollars a year on a five year deal, so he's going to make twelve million dollars. Um, uh, Scott Sandlin makes three hundred fifty thousand dollars. He'd have to work thirty four years to get that kind of money. I mean, somebody's got to step up and, and hire this guy because, I mean, you know, Willie Desjardins, nice, but, like, why not go outside the box a little bit here and, and, and hire this guy? Like, I, I don't I don't understand how this guy can do what he's doing and not get any love from the NHL. Yeah, and keep in mind that, you know, Duluth, for years wasn't getting the top, top recruits. Like in Minnesota, right, right. kids grow up wanting to play for the Golden Gophers, but under Sandal and the Bulldogs have become the powerhouse. The Gophers have been left far behind in the wake right, right. from what Sandalin has built there. Right. Interesting. And while we're talking about coaches right now, it's a good transition to one of our mailbag questions. It's mailbag time. And a good question from Joseph Bracken is, why do owners and GMs and presidents keep going back to the well for their head coaches? So Willie DeJarnay would be a, a, a good sample. Yeah. It's a great question. And I. it's funny. I don't know if this is the answer, but the answer that always does pop in my head when I see retread is PR. And I always yeah. think that the coach or that the the franchise, whether it's ownership, president, GM, they're trying to placate a fan base by saying, "No, look, we got a big name. You've heard of this guy. He's had some success yeah, in the yeah. past, yeah. Yeah. and so stay away, stay away from us with the torches." That's what I always feel in the moment. I have nothing to back that up, but that's my first instinct. Well, I mean, look at Philadelphia right now. Okay, look at Philadelphia right now. If they bring in Scott Sandlin to replace. Dave Haxtell. Mm. Another college guy. Uh, yeah, right? So, yeah. so you know, I mean, there is that. So so Chuck Fletcher, if he does, and, and apparently there have been rumblings that this could happen, and I sure hope it does, but, but you know, I mean, Chuck Fletcher's going to have to swallow hard, and he's going to have to be able to explain to this fan base that it's different this time and that we've got to give this guy a chance. And I think you're right. And also, it's just safe. It's just safe. Yeah. And you know what? Hockey, I mean, you can almost always – trace lineage in, in, in hockey from the trickle down to okay so the president hired the GM because he played with the GM in college and the GM hired the the director of player personnel because they played together in the minors and this guy played with this guy and he likes that guy and he trusts that guy and I mean in hockey it seems like more than any other sport it's that incestuous so I think and I think it's just safe it's safe you know you don't have to you don't have to worry about being second guessed if you if you've got a guy right. with a track because record. you will be unfortunately if you hire a college coach and coach and goes badly in the hindsight twenty twenty yeah. crowd will say why did you take a chance on a guy who's never coached on the NHL I, yeah I mean the Philadelphia Flyers hired Mike Keenan out of the University of Toronto 
Wow. Right, he was a coach at the University of Toronto. He coached in Peterborough, then was a coach in the University in Toronto, and then it was funny because he was the shiny new guy who came in. But by the end of his career, he was the guy that everybody yeah. was hiring. Right, it's Mike Keenan. Yeah, it's Mike yeah. Keenan. He'll be able to turn our program. Even around. like even the kids are like, it's Mike Keenan. It's Mike Keenan. Coach Metalur. Well, and now China is like, it's Mike Keenan. We're trying to get this thing going. We gotta get Mike Keenan. But it's almost like small players in the draft versus big players, where it's like, well, if we fail with a big. player, Player, he can at least be on the fourth line. If you fail with yeah. a small guy, then what do you got? Obviously, now we're realizing that that doesn't work because Alex DeBrinkett is <laughs> an incredible goal scorer in the NHL, and there are a lot of guys who were six foot four in their draft year who are currently playing in the ECHL. But it's that mentality that if we miss on an experienced guy, then we say, well, he won a Stanley Cup. We thought he'd be good. If you miss on Sandlin or Ricard Gronborg from Sweden, people will be like, ah, why'd you hire that guy? He doesn't know the game. Yeah, you're on that train, eh? Which is good. I'm big. I've been on that train for years. That's good. Yeah, I've been him and Roger Ronberg. I mean, Greg Carvel too, and at at UMass. I mean, he's been he's been an assistant coach in the NHL. Mm -hmm. He was an assistant coach with Ottawa for years. I mean, I I think he'd be another. I think he'd be another great. Andre Tourney as well in junior. He's going to be the uh, associate coach for Canada at the World Juniors under Dale Hunter, but it's like. Why not make him the head coach? I mean, that guy has had lots of success grooming players, helping them round out their game. Uh, I just think that's another guy. And his nickname is Bear, which is fantastically old school for an NHL coach. You don't get many (laughs) Bears anymore. But, I mean, that's just another name that you see his track record, and it's like, why wouldn't you give him a chance? Yeah, fair. And I find it seems like there's more of a groundswell for Gronborg than ever this year. I don't know if it's just me, but I've been hearing his name. People are just bringing it up a lot more. Yeah. Even just when they're asking questions about coaching candidates, this is the first time I remember just seeing Gronborg's name again and again. Well, I think he was under that. contract for Sweden okay. until, like, now he's kind of a free agent. So he's, done, he's done with the national program. Yeah. Um, or very soon he's done with the national program. So I, I think there's more of a sense of, okay, well, this is when he's kind of really a free agent. And he's been around, he's been in North America a lot this year. So I, I think, think, I think too, it's there. a function of the number of openings. You yeah, know, there are a lot too. more openings now than there yeah. have been in the last couple of years. Yeah. So. I see maybe a fit for Buffalo if they don't make their move because you got Rasmus. He was in the building. I know. He was right, there. He was right there. Yeah. He was you got Alex Neilander, Linus Olmar, <laughs> yeah. Rasmus Asplund. You got some Swedes in the system. Yep. But we'll see. Uh, next question is from, interestingly, the, the handle is Canucks the best 27, but the question's about the Devils. So go figure. Yeah, well. uh, and Canucks the best asks, will the Devils pick Capocacco instead of Jack Hughes because they already have a franchise center and Hall could play center? Uh, I'm going to jump out front and say absolutely not. <laughs> Correct. Um, well, because Hall, Hall hasn't played center for years and years. He's a, left he's a left winger, a pure yeah. left winger. Uh, also, Nico, he sure, um, it's, he still has time to become a star, but to me, he's starting to look like someone after two years, you might wonder if his ceiling might be very good number two center. Which is than, great. Which is still yeah. great. Is and great. what we thought in his draft. Yeah. Yes. And yeah. that would be a great guy to play behind. Jack Hughes. Mm. And of course, Ray Shiro coming from a Pittsburgh background where that franchise's structure was all down the middle. I just, I don't see Shiro and he didn't, doing and anything he didn't, different. He didn't say it at the lottery, but he all but said it at the right. lottery. I, like, mean, I mean, he he all but said that they were going to take Jack Hughes. And, and to me, 
I don't care if you have 50 centers in your organization. If you can get a number one center of Jack Hughes ilk, yeah. you take them, period. Never enough Period, centers. period, period. And Never people enough talk, People talk about El Capo Caco. And, and, I mean, I'm sure he's a very good player. I, I, he is. I, I'm sure he's very, very good. How he broke, you know, the under-18 scoring record in, this, in the Finnish Elite League. Okay, fine. But what about, you know, Jack Hughes having more points than... Patrick Kane, Austin Matthews, Phil Kessel, Clayton Keller, um, you know, name it. Yeah. I mean, what about him breaking all those records? And being a center as a tiebreaker, right? Just yeah. the fact yeah. that he does all that and is the center of the team. Right. And right. I think that's something that fans might not appreciate, that when you're drafting that high, you do not draft for need. You go best player available. And it's, you know, it's kind of a cliche, and, and teams use that. A lot, but it's the truth. If like, if you need a right-handed defenseman, fine. You take him in the second round, or you yeah. trade for another pick later in the first round. If you're staring at an amazing left-handed defenseman, you take the left-handed defenseman. Yeah. I don't every think you ever time. draft for need. I don't think you ever draft for need. Talking to scouts for an yeah. upcoming story, teams don't draft for need until like the for fourth me, round. Yeah. At earliest. Yeah, and uh, how is a fourth-round guy going to fill an immediate need? Right, right. You know what I mean? I don't think you ever do. I think you always, always, like I would always, always defer. Who is the best player on our list? Yeah. At this point, he's available. We're taking him. I don't care if we have 100 defensemen. You want to be able to scratch your head and say, oh, man, we have so many good centers. Yeah. What are we going to do? Yeah. That's a pretty good problem to have. Exactly. Even though I am very bullish on on Capococco, and I'm actually working on something about him for the upcoming draft preview, and, uh, you know, a lot of people try to compare him to Patrick Laine, but I think Rantanen is the better comparison. I asked Kako that as well through an interpreter, and he agreed. But what really stuck out to me is his World Junior coach, UCI Hocus. I asked him the same question. He said, "No, that that doesn't isn't quite right either because Kapokako is already ahead of where Rantanen was at the same age, uh, especially in terms of skating. So that's pretty exciting to hear because sure Rantanen's is. really good. So yep. I think that whoever gets Kako, which is likely going to be the New York Rangers, mm-hmm. um, they're getting a very good player too. But you still don't pass on Jack Hughes. No, it's true. And actually, it's funny. Another description I heard of Kako from a European NHL scout was he's a better Philip Forsberg. Hmm, interesting. Well, that's it for this week, everybody. And next week, maybe we'll be doing the Tampa Bay Lightning's eulogy. Maybe not. Stay tuned.